welcome to Creekside Church. It is great to see those of you here. You braved some uh, roads that were a little bit slick, and uh, so it's good to be here this morning. And we're glad to have those who are joining us online as well. Let's just take a moment to uh, bow our heads, commit our time to the Lord. Heavenly Father, uh, it's a joy to be in your presence. And Lord, even though we know that you are always with us, um, Lord, we also give thanks for the special promise that Jesus uh, left us with that says where there are two or three gathered in my name, uh, there I am in the midst. And so we thank you for that promise. We thank you for the opportunity to take a break uh, from the distractions and the cares of this world and to set our eyes uh, toward you, toward heaven, toward your throne, uh, and to hear from Jesus. Lord, we just ask that you would prepare our hearts this morning. Help us to worship in spirit and in truth. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I'm glad to be here and thank you all for your prayers and your encouragement. I even had a few guests outside of my cave uh, taping up encouraging notes and things, so that kind of actually startled me, but it was a good encouragement. So glad to be back. I'm very grateful for your prayers and for um, God's work on my behalf. I ask you to continue to be praying for a lot of the folks in our church family and, and extended family because there's a lot of things going on. Uh, still several people battling with COVID, several people struggling with uh, different issues that we need to be in prayer for. I'm just going to open our time in prayer. Uh, Father, I just thank you uh, for the, the, actually the beauty of this day, Lord, as uh, I was sitting here watching, looking out the window, seeing the snow fall and thinking about each and every snowflake as a unique creation of God, as each and every individual person who's here in person, online, and around the world is a unique creation. We come to you and pray that as we worship you, we would do so in spirit and in truth. And I pray that you would open our eyes, that we might behold wonderful truths from your law, that you would take these things and not just inform our minds, but you would transform our hearts, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I was got here for the first service and actually was reminded that uh, I ha- I ha- this is the first time I haven't been here since last year. So I was uh, glad, to, glad to be back and, and good, to, good to be here with you this morning. Um, I would just like to say that, you know, as we think about 2021, a lot of things are going to be happening, a lot of things are already happening, but this summer marks the, uh, the 80th anniversary of the bombing of Pearl Harbor, okay? 80th anniversary, the bombing of Pearl Harbor. And what, uh, what this did is actually it's a, this kind of historical moment, very historical moment, clarifies, it brought clarification through a controversy. I mean, once our U.S. soil was bombed, it steeled the resolve of the United States to lash out and attack the tyranny of, of Nazi Germany in a way that it, maybe it hadn't been done before. 
And as I think about what that did for us, the controversy brought clarification. I think in the same way, the, the truths that we're going to look at this morning from a very difficult passage as far as controversy goes, Jesus interacting with the Pharisees in Matthew chapter 12 does in some ways for believers what Pearl Harbor did for the United States during World War II. It brings clarification through controversy. You see, Jesus came and we been declaring Jesus as the king. What kind of king is he? And as we've walked through the book of Matthew, we've seen that he's a kind of a king who declares and demonstrates he is the sovereign king and lord of the universe, the the Messiah. Through his declaration and his demonstration, he's declared his authority and his identity, and it's brought skepticism. And that skepticism has only fueled further criticism of Jesus. And that criticism is escalating as we move through the book of Matthew towards out-and-out antagonism. And that antagonism is resulting in hostility towards Jesus. In fact, we look at Matthew chapter 12 and the first 14 verses, and we see that the, the, the controversies and the hostility that was brought against Jesus escalated to the point that even the Jewish people rejected him as, as the Messiah. And so I'd invite you to turn with me, if you would, in your Bibles, or if you have your device, you can get there to Matthew chapter 12. We're going to look at the first 14 verses this morning. And in these verses, Jesus used two Sabbath controversies, picking grain and healing a man, two Sabbath controversies to condemn legalism to condemn legalism as the enemy of saving and sustaining grace, okay? Legalism is the enemy of not just saving grace, but sustaining grace, the grace that we live our lives as believers in, but also to commend to us a love for God, a true worship of God, what that really looks like, and then to confirm Jesus as the King of Kings so that we would accept him as the true King and serve him with our whole hearts. So there's this condemnation of legalism there's this commending of a love and worship for God and then there is this confirmation of Jesus and who he is I'm going to read the text Matthew chapter 12 beginning with verse 1 at that time Jesus went on the went on the Sabbath through the grain fields and his disciples became hungry and began to pick the heads of grain and eat but when the Pharisees saw it they said to him behold your disciples do what is not lawful on the Sabbath and he said to them have you not read what David did When he became hungry, and he and his companions, and how he entered the house of God, and they ate the consecrated bread, which was not lawful for him to eat, nor for those with him, but for the priests alone? Or have you not read in the law that on the Sabbath the priests in the temple break the Sabbath and are innocent? But I say to you that something greater than the temple is here. But if you had known what this means, I desire compassion and not sacrifice, you would would not have condemned the innocent." For the Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. And departing from there, he went into their synagogue. And behold, there was a man with a withered hand, and they questioned him, saying, Is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath? In order that they might accuse him. And he said to them, What man shall there be among you who shall have one sheep, and if it falls into a pit on the Sabbath, will he not take hold of it and lift it out? Of how much more value, then, is a man than a sheep? So then it is lawful to do good on the Sabbath." And then he said to the man, stretch out your hand. And he stretched it out. And it was restored to normal like the other. 
And the Pharisees went out and counseled together against him as to how they might destroy him. Two controversies. The first one is our Lord permitted gathering on the Sabbath. When I say gathering, gathering the grain, okay? On the Sabbath. And there are two stages in the controversy. First of all, there's an offense or a quote-unquote offense that is committed in verses 1 and 2. So we see what the disciples are doing with Jesus in verse 1. At that time, Jesus went on the Sabbath through the grain fields, and his disciples became hungry and began to pick the heads of the grain, okay? So there they were walking through, and they were hungry. They needed breakfast, so they picked some grain and started shelling it. Now, then we have the accusation of the Pharisees. "Uh Uh-uh, not supposed to do that, according to them. In verse 2, it says uh, that the, the Pharisees, when the Pharisees saw it, and I read it and I go, what are they doing there? Why are they walking along with Jesus and his disciples anyway? But they were uh, on the Sabbath, which, you know, you got to be careful how far you go on the Sabbath, and we're going to find out in a minute. But anyhow, Sabbath was supposed to be a time of inactivity, a time of rest from your normal routine of work and play. It's supposed to be a time where you rested physically and you worshiped spiritually. That's what it was supposed to be. You can see this in Exodus chapter 20. You can see it in Isaiah chapter 58. Uh, this is the, the Sabbath was for rest. The Pharisees basically rendered, by their tradition, basically you could do nothing on the Sabbath. Pretty much everything was out of bounds. It was a violation according to their tradition, okay? So they held strongly to it. For example, you could not walk more than 3,000 steps from your home on the Sabbath day, okay? You could not start a fire. You could not extinguish a fire. The heaviest thing you could carry was a dried fig on a Sabbath day. I mean, the mission in the Talmud, these uh, translations of the ancient traditions, there's like 37 pages, I think, in the Talmud on uh, things you can't do on the Sabbath day, Okay? It was just like ridiculous. So they also, also held to the, the, the Old Testament law regulations on the Sabbath. So combining their tradition with the law, the day of rest <laughs> was actually uh, was supposed to be a day of rest and worship. It became a day of burdensome rule keeping. I mean, it was like the complete opposite of what it was intended for is what it became, according to them. Now, we must understand that normally it was permissible for people to gather heads of grain from the fields, okay? You could walk through, just like I can walk on a sidewalk in front of your house, you could walk, permitted in Old Testament, in New Testament Israel, you could walk through the grain field of another person and you could gather what you need because the farmers left the edges for that very purpose. They didn't harvest clear to the edge, so you could gather it. It was normal activity, okay? But, and we see this from Deuteronomy, Deuteronomy chapter 23, verse 25. But the Pharisees labeled the disciples' innocent grain gathering, it was permissible, they labeled it as harvesting. Okay? So they said, oh, they're harvesting, which that was forbidden on the Sabbath. So you see in their explanation and their expansion of the letter of the law, uh, the Pharisees perverted the spirit of the law. They perverted the intention of the the Sabbath, what you were supposed to do on the Sabbath. The Sabbath was never intended to restrict expressions of of love, but it was promote love, love for God and, and love for others through 
acts of necessity, through serving God, and through acts of mercy and, and worship. So allowing, I mean, gathering grain to eat breakfast was not in any way a real violation of the spirit of the law. But they said, oh, it's bad, it's bad. So that's the offense. Now what's the defense? So that's the offense, offense. Now here's the defense by Jesus. And he gives five rebuttals at least. Maybe you could have fewer, more maybe if you wanted to parse it a little different way. But first of all, he appeals in in verse 3 to the example of David's quote-unquote unlawful activity. Now, back in 1 Samuel chapter 20 and verse 6, David is, is on an errand from, from Saul, and he stops uh, at, and, and asks the priest if he has any bread, because he left in such a hurry, he needs something to eat, and his, his men with him, and they give it to him. So here's the deal. Jesus says to these, who's he talking to? Pharisees. Experts in the law, schooled in the Old Testament, completely understanding everything. He says, have you not read... And you'll see this in some form or version three times in our text this morning. Have you not read? I mean, you guys are the the experts, right? Have you not read in the law where David, have you not read? I mean, how insulting could that be? It would be, uh, actually I heard this week, that uh, the New England Journal of Medicine has recently published an article. There are three medical doctors who published an article in the New England Journal of Medicine. And they're... Uh, arguing that, we, they, that they feel like the medical community should no longer have to declare the gender on birth certificates, or the biological gender of the baby on the birth certificates. They're arguing they shouldn't have to do that. And I want to say, have you guys never read an anatomy or physiology book? You're doctors, right? You're medical professionals and you've never read an anatomy physiology book. You, don't, you never studied genetics? Duh. I mean, Jesus is saying, have you never read? (laughs) Now, fascinating that Jesus, in answer to their question about their their interpretation, their explanation of the law, quote-unquote, the tradition, Jesus appeals, first of all, to the writings. The Old Testament, Hebrews, and the New Testament, they would divide the Old Testament into the law, the prophets, and the writings. Okay, three sections. Here, he appeals to the writings in 1 Samuel. Have you not read, and what did Jesus say? go on to say? He says, how he, that is David, entered the house of God, and they, that is David and his men, ate the consecrated bed, which was not lawful for him to eat. In Leviticus chapter 24, verses 5 through 9, prohibits anybody but the priest from eating it nor for those who were with him, Exodus chapter 29, verse 33, but for the priests only. Jesus is saying, look, buddy, uh, the Pharisees, they didn't understand or apply 1 Samuel 21, 6 correctly. You guys got it wrong, Jesus said. Think about it. If God permitted a priest in the Old Testament to violate the law, the letter of the law, in order to keep the spirit of the law to provide for David's needs and that of his men, how much more should these Pharisees cut Jesus' disciples some slack and let them get by and suspend it? See, the Sabbath, Sabbath was never intended. This adherence to these rules on the day of worship was never intended to keep people's necessities from being met. Never intended to restrict deeds of necessity. That's the first rebuttal. David's quote-unquote unlawful activity. Now, Jesus appeals to the priest's unlawful activity. 
Look at verse 5. Or have you not read, there it is again, right? Have you not read that in the law, now he talked about the writings, now he's talking about the law. Have you, have you not read that in the, that, uh, the law, uh, that on the Sabbath, the priests in the temple break the Sabbath and are innocent? Okay, guys, you're the experts. You didn't know that? That in the rigorous work of the Sabbath, I mean, these guys are slaughtering animals. You know, they're, they're sacrificing. They're working hard on the Sabbath. Okay? And Jesus says, they are given a pass. Sabbath rules are exempted, and Sabbath rest is, is preempted by Sabbath responsibilities by the priests. Okay? See, they were exempted by the law because of the temple service required it in Numbers chapter 28 and verses 9 and 10. So the temple service took precedence over Sabbath rest. Sabbath doesn't restrict us to serve. So you say, well, you know, I mean, people say, uh, of course, the typical thing about pastors is we only work one day a week. Uh, but guess what? We work on Sunday. And you say, well, we should, you shouldn't work on Sunday. Why not? I work on Sunday. Some people have jobs where they have to work on Sunday. So are they to be poo-pooed because they work on Sunday? Not necessarily. Jesus says you, you shouldn't say because sometimes you've got to work on Sunday. Serving the Lord, preaching Sunday school. Should you teach Sunday school on Sunday? Should you serve another person? Oh, maybe somebody's uh, sidewalk needs shoveled or they need help. In, in, the, in, the, in the spirit of Christ and love, you would help them on Sunday. Serving the Lord on Sunday is something that Jesus says, hey, it's cool because the priests do it, so it's okay. We shouldn't restrict ourselves to doing these things. So there's the unlawful activity of David. There's the unlawful, quote-unquote, activity of the priest. Then there is the presence of Jesus. Verse 6. But I say to you that something greater than the temple is here. Wow. Now that was a lightning rod statement. Okay. Because the Jews said the only thing more important than the temple was God himself. And what did Jesus just say? I'm more important than the temple. I'm God. I'm God. I'm more important than the temple. Something more important and then the temple is here. You see? That made it extremely hostile towards, towards them. You see, Jesus was greater than the temple because in the temple, God was present symbolically. I mean, he, was, he wasn't really residing there. I want you to look, if you will, on the screen at Isaiah chapter 66, a familiar passage to some people. Thus says the Lord. This is what the Lord says. Heaven is my throne. Okay. Now think about the imagery here. Heaven is my throne, and the earth is my footstool. That's not even his house. <laughs> Heaven is the throne. Earth is his footstool. And then he, then he goes on. Where then is the house you will build for me? And where is a place that I may dwell? Have he says, by my hands, all these things came into being. So these things came into being, declares the Lord. But to this one will I look, to him who is humble and contrite in spirit and who trembles at my word. So the temple didn't really house God. God showed up there. God's presence was there. That's where they thought his presence was. But he was only there symbolically. But in the person of Jesus, God was present physically. Colossians chapter 2. Verse 9, in him dwells all the fullness of the Godhead in bodily form. Jesus is greater than the temple. Now think about it. The example of David. David was the king, right? 
Even at the time he took the bread, he was anointed king, but he wasn't enthroned as the king. Saul was the king at that time, but David was actually anointed as king. Who's the greatest king <laughs> in the line of David? Jesus. Okay. So Jesus is a greater king than David, and Jesus is greater than the priests who get a pass for violating the Sabbath. And he's greater than the temple. So how much more should those who serve him get a pass from doing what he says is acceptable and allows? When I was a young boy, my dad was a superintendent of schools. And so every year at Christmas time, there would be a break. And my dad always had, you know, like a two-week break. No, no activities at school, nothing going on at school, okay? So uh, we'd get, you know, kind of cabin fever being locked up inside. And so he would take us over to the gym. And we'd run around and horse around and do that. Well, now, let's just say that the janitor, uh, Mr. Leon, uh, didn't really like us being in the gym. Well, guess what? Didn't really matter what Leon said because my dad was the boss. So just think of it this way. Jesus is the boss, and the Pharisees are the janitor. And Jesus says, doesn't really matter what you say. What I say counts because I'm greater than the temple. I'm greater than King David. I am his descendant, the, the Messiah. He said, I am greater than any priest because I am the great high priest. And now, God, guess what? I'm in charge. I'm here. I'm present. Nothing going. And then finally, they have the pronouncement of, uh, the, not finally, but the fourth one is the pronouncement of the prophet. So he's talked about the, the writings. He's appealed from the writings. He's appealed from the law. Now he appeals from the prophets to correct them. Look at verse 7. But if you had known, now this is another way of saying, have you not read, okay? <laughs> if you had known what the prophets said, I desire what this means. If you'd known what this means, I desire compassion and not sacrifice, which is a quote, actually, from Hosea chapter 6, verse 6. Uh, it's a, it, it translates it a little bit differently, but he says, For I desire loyalty rather than sacrifice, and the knowledge of God rather than burnt offerings. So he's emphasizing mercy, emphasizing compassion, emphasizing love. That's what I desire. And not merely duty, okay? This is the deal, folks. We come to church on Sunday because that's the day Jesus rose from the dead, so that's the day we called our Sabbath. They, they, their Sabbath was on Saturday. But... Jesus said, I, I, you know, I'm, I'm quoting this. I desire sacrifice. No, I desire compassion rather than sacrifice. David said the same thing, Psalm 51, verse 16. Devotion rather than duty, Psalm 51, verses 16 and 17. For you do not delight in sacrifices, otherwise I'd give it. You do not take pleasure in burnt offerings and sacrifices of God or a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart you will, uh, you will not despise. This is what God wants. He wants our heart. Don't care about our duties. If we have the right heart, we'll do the duties, right? But if we do the duties, doesn't mean we have the right heart. And so I like what uh, Sean O'Donnell said in his commentary. He says, love for people, no matter what day it is, is love for God. And the Sabbath is set aside to worship God. It's to be honor Him. So love for people, regardless of the day, is love for God. So let's focus on love for people. And if we love in people, then we'll be loving God. And if we're loving people and loving God, then we're, we're good to go. We don't have to worry about whether I kept the rules, whether I wore a tie, whether I didn't wear a tie, whether I wore jeans or whether I didn't wear jeans. 
whether I was actually here or whether I was home, listening online. Whoops. We can all worship God. The Sabbath ritual was never intended to restrict acts of mercy. God is love. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. When we love other people, we demonstrate our love for God. And when we demonstrate our love for God, then we're worshiping Him. God's people worship Him when we reflect His compassion in our conduct towards others. You see, their adherence to the rules eclipsed sympathy. That's irreverent. It's ungodly. What they were doing was ungodly and irreverent. They were guilty of the very thing they were accusing Jesus' disciples of, violating the Sabbath. Violating the Sabbath. So I ask you this morning, is, is there some tradition, some rules and regulations, requirements that you've put on yourself, that you're putting on yourself, that you hope will bring you a right relationship with God? Salvation. Or maybe just a little better standing before God. If I just do enough of the right things, then I'm, I'm better in God's eyes. No. You miss the point of, of worship. It's a relationship that God wants with us. It's not about that I just kept all the rules. That's not how I earn a place in relationship with God. It's not how I continue to grow in my relationship with God. Those things are not bad. I'm not saying we shouldn't go to church. I'm not saying we shouldn't, you know, follow some sense of activities that would lead us to worship. I should spend time with God on a daily basis. But just because I spend time with God on a daily basis doesn't mean I'm growing in my walk with God. I don't know about you, but I've spent a lot of time in daily with, with God, and then I wonder, boy, I don't know, I don't feel like I'm, I don't, I don't feel like I'm closer to God sometimes. Doesn't mean I should stop. God is there. You see, spiritual health is not a function of our activity. It's a function of our attitude. It's not what we do. It's why we do it. The sacrifices of the Lord are broken and contrite spirit. You want to worship God in spirit and in truth? I want to worship God in spirit and truth. A broken and contrite heart. Humble. What does he say in Isaiah 66 verse 2? To this one will I look. To him who is humble and contrite in spirit. (laughs) And who trembles at my word. What's Jesus giving these guys? Tradition? No. God's word. Laying it right out for them. This is it. Broken and contrite spirit. Not not arrogant and self-sufficient. So why do you come to church? Or listen online? Why do we wear certain clothes? Remember some gal told you this story before. (laughs) First time I ever preached without wearing a tie. Uh, one One of the... Saints came up to me afterwards and says, Pastor, see you lost your tie. I said, no, I didn't lose it. I just left it home. Remember the first time I preached in jeans. Uh, one, one, of the, one of the saints came up to me afterwards and, and, uh, and they said, I don't know, Pastor, you better not be preaching in shorts. I remember one time uh, first church we served is a, a guy came into the church and had an ACDC t-shirt on. And boy, one of the, one of the old saints beelined it up to me and says, Pastor, we need to ask that person to leave. Look at that shirt they got on. It's horrible. I said, you know what? They probably need to be here just as much as anybody else. Don't you think that it's good that they're in church? 
Would you rather be in church or somewhere else? Oh, yeah, maybe. You see, why do we do it? Is it because our heart is yearning to grow and mature and, and, and get to know God? Or is it because if I do this, then I've got a better place. Or i got a better chance of getting into heaven. Or I'll, I'll have a better, better place. No. A broken. He said, you should not have condemned the innocent. It's an indictment against the Pharisees who in their sanctimony were guilty of placing their ritual above love. Above what's right, above God's heart. So here's the deal. You know what? Since this whole COVID thing has is, is, is gone on and it's still going on, it's like our in-person worship attendance has dropped, you know, and it's fluctuated. And our attendance at our midweek Bible studies and activities has fluctuated but dropped generally. And, and would we as a church body love to see everyone back gathered for worship? Yeah, I mean, you know, when you're singing these great hymns and worshiping together with 25, it's a little different than when you're singing with 125, right? The experience is not exactly the same. And especially when you're sitting at home. I mean, I, last Sunday, I was sitting at home in my recliner with my eyes shut listening to Bob, trying to keep my sanity and, 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 and praising, trying to worship the Lord. It's not the same, okay? We'd love it to be different. But look, being here or not being here is not the mark of your maturity. It's not the measure of whether you're going to enter into glory or not. We'd love you to be here. Whether you wear jeans or shorts or whatever, as long as you're clothed, uh, we're good, okay? It's, it's what's in your heart. It's what's in my heart. Jesus successfully appealed to these, the law, the prophets, and the writings to attack him. And then he concludes in verse 8 with the final rebuttal of this condemnation, this accusation. For the Son of Man, whoa, the Son of Man. Think Daniel chapter 7, verses 13 and 14, where Daniel the prophet is prophesying about this coming king who would be a divine king for eternity. This is the promised Messiah, and Jesus is saying, oh, you know, that's me. The Son of Man is what? Is Lord of the Sabbath. Yahweh Sabaoth. He is the King of the Sabbath. He is the ruler of the Sabbath. And oh, by the way, you Pharisees, I'm in charge here. Not you. He's the master. He's the ruler. If you own your house, you know, your property, you can pretty much do whatever you want in your own yard, right? Because you're the lord of your yard. You're the master over your yard. I mean, I've seen some crazy-looking yards. And, uh, I'm in, you know, there's this... <laughs> driving down Lincoln Way in Ames, I mean, there's this place that looks like a forest. I mean, it's just it's a front yard right on Lincoln Way, which is one of the main east-west roads in Ames. And it's like, this place looks like a, like a wildlife refuge, you know? And I guess there's no city ordinance that says they have to mow your yard, uh, you know, on that side of the sidewalk or whatever. But they got native grasses and all kinds of stuff, you know, you can't see. I don't know what they're growing in there, but I can guess. Okay? Well disguised. Jesus says, I'm the Lord. I'm the Lord of the Sabbath. God did not make man for the Sabbath. He didn't make us for the Sabbath. No, 
he made us to be free. So folks, there's freedom, there's liberty in what we do. Some people will decide that they're going to work on Sunday and some people decide they're not going to work on Sunday. Some people are going to go out to eat on Sunday, some people are not going to go out to eat on Sunday. Fine. Read Romans 14, 5 and 6. You know, one man determines one day as important, another man determines another day as important. It's between them and God. Now, that doesn't mean God created the Sabbath because we're needy. He didn't create us for the Sabbath. He created the Sabbath for us. And that's Mark chapter 2, verse 27. The Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. Why? Because we need physical rest. Because he wants us to connect and, and to grow in our walk with God. Physical and regular communion, you know, if you, have, if you have rest and regular communion with God, it cultivates and communicates our connection with Him. That's what, that's what the Sabbath is for, right? To cultivate and communicate that we're growing closer to Him, that we have a humble and a contrite spirit. So Jesus says, hey, it's okay to gather on the Sabbath. So for you and me, it's okay to serve God on the Sabbath. It's okay to provide for people's needs on the Sabbath. It's okay. Uh, I don't need to be so worried about whether someone has the right clothes on, but uh, I can wear all the right clothes. But when the ratio hits and I'm unwilling to go help my neighbor, I'm missing the point. I'm missing the point. Secondly, our Lord performed healing on the Sabbath. This is verses 9 through 14. And the controversy intensifies. Notice that it says in verse 9 that, and departing from there, he went into whose synagogue? Their synagogue. <laughs> you got to love Jesus. I mean, it's just like, okay, let's go. I'm, I'm taking it right to you. I'm taking the game. I'm going on offense here. He walked right into their synagogue. And he walked right into a trap. He enters the trap, verses 9 and 10. And departing from there, he went into their synagogue. And behold, there was a man with a withered hand, and they questioned him, saying, Is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath? Is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath? Well, tradition, fair sake tradition, no healing. No help to anybody unless it's life-threatening on the Sabbath. Only a life-threatening situation on the Sabbath. So, appropriate answer would be, no, it's not uh, right to do that, okay? That would be, but they did this to accuse him, okay? It's kind of like asking a politician, did, do you support the recent stimulus package? Well, if they say yes, then you can say, oh, you're fiscally irresponsible. But if they say no, then you say, oh, you don't care about us. I mean, it's like a no-win deal. But they asked Jesus, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath? Well, Jesus comes back at him. He tells him the truth. Verses 11 and 13, by asking the question, Jesus declared what is good. And he said to them, what man, okay, here's a question. What man among you shall there be among you, including Pharisees, who shall have one sheep, and if it falls into a pit on the Sabbath, will he not take hold of it and lift it out? What would their answer be? Without question, yes. Every one of us, we'd do that. Our sheep fall. Now look, for us, we don't care. Most of us don't even you know, know what a sheep looks like. Well, we know, look, don't smell them. You know, never smell the sheep. Sheep are stupid. They're dumb, and, and, they, and they're hard work, and they're nasty kind of animals. But they're good for wool. They're good for milk. They're good for food. And they lived in an agrarian society. So to lose one of their sheep was like to lose, you know, some in your bank account. And they're going to go after the sheep to rescue the sheep. 
would have known that. But then Jesus asked this. He argues from the lesser to the greater. Okay, you're going to save a sheep that falls in a pit, right? Of how much more value is a man than a sheep? Now, here's one for you in our culture in our day. What's a culture society say? You know, it's a circle of life, right? And uh, Pocahontas, and uh, it's, a, it's a, a river is a tree, is a rock, is a, is a goat, is a sheep, is a, is a human, and everybody's all the same, right? Every created being is equally, equally valuable, right? What does Jesus say? Uh-uh. A person is more valuable than a sheep. And you know that a person is more valuable than a sheep. He says to the Pharisees. So, in your theology and in your intellect, you agree that a person is more valuable than a sheep, but in your practice, you ignore it. You ignore it. Sinister. They agreed, but they didn't practice it. Now, Jesus forces the issue. Why don't you look at Matthew, or Mark chapter 3, verse 4. It's a parallel passage to this. And he said to them, is it lawful to do good on the Sabbath or to do harm? They ask him, is it lawful to heal? He says, is it lawful to do good or harm, to save a life or to kill it? They didn't say anything. Why not? <laughs> Their silence is deafening, right? But understandable, since if they approved of doing good... They would have contradicted their tradition because they're trying to prove that you can't do good on the Sabbath, at least in this instance. Jesus exposed their inconsistent and their irreverent application of their traditions of the Sabbath law. Willingness, they were willing to save a sheep but not willing to help a human being who's more valuable than a sheep. It is, and then he says, it is lawful. Verse 12, it is lawful. To do good on the Sabbath. See, the Sabbath doesn't restrict acts of mercy. No, not at all. Doing good is lawful. They were condemned by their heartless, unbiblical, and irreverent activity, unmerciful activity. Again, they're more concerned about what people are wearing than helping their neighbor. Look, folks, it doesn't really matter if you wore your jeans to church or if you didn't even come to church because you were helping your neighbor scoop out their walk and their driveway. Now, I would not say you should never come to church. I'm not saying that. I should not say that you never spend time reading the Bible. That's not what I'm saying. Those things are not the means whereby we gain salvation. They're not the measure of which we determine our value and worth to God. They are a manifestation of our relationship with they're intended to be. Jesus condemned religious hypocrisy that measures spirituality based upon your compliance with the handbook of tasks rather than your heart tuned to God. The summer that I met my wife, we were on a short-term mission project. And our leaders were admonishing us that we needed to share the gospel uh, as a group, there were several of us, we needed to share the gospel X number of times each week. You know? And I mean, we were, you know, there's pressure. You got to find some poor soul to, uh, you know, that you, know, you need to share the gospel with, which is not a bad idea. It's not, a, I mean, it's a biblical thing, right? It's something you should do. But we became so consumed with the letter and with the work, we forgot to worship God. Or I, I feared that that was happening. And Jesus says, no, you're so caught up in your rules, you're missing the point. Here's a person who's hurting, 
who has a withered hand. God is worshipped when love is extended. Let's not keep our rules and forget our relationship with God and our relationship with others. Jesus doesn't just declare what is good, but in righteous indignation, he demonstrates mercy that fuels hostility. Now, stay with me here. Notice what Jesus does. I want you to look at Mark chapter 3, verse 5. And after looking around at them, now notice the text says, with anger, grieved at their hardness of heart, he said to the man, stretch out your hand. And he stretched it out and his hand was restored. Now what was their original question to Jesus? Is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath? So nobody asked Jesus to heal anybody. But he did it, right? Now, is this withered hand a life-threatening condition? Probably not. Could have been done the next day, right? But Jesus chose to do it on the Sabbath, directly. So there was no reason that he couldn't have waited. It doesn't restrict it, okay? Jesus did it. Nobody asked him. It could have waited. Nobody asked him to do it, and he did it. And guess what? No work was done. It wasn't a violation of the law for the guy to raise his hand. It wasn't a violation of the law for Jesus to say, nothing. <laughs> he just healed him. So what could, they, what could they do? Nothing. Jesus, but boy, it ticked them off. It, they didn't like it. And so we see uh, that Jesus is targeted for destruction. You see, in, in, in chapter 12, verse 7, I desire compassion and not sacrifice. And what does Jesus do? He shows compassion and mercy in healing the hand. And the same great physician who heals the physical hand is the same great physician who extends mercy to heal the broken human heart. Isaiah chapter 53, you know, all we like sheep have gone astray. Each one has turned to his own way, but he has caused the iniquity of us all to fall upon him. He was bruised for our iniquities. He was crushed for our transgressions. By his chastening, we have been healed. This is the same Jesus. That's his heart. And then he's targeted for destruction. They were unable to disprove the truth, right? Jesus had them. They couldn't deny his power. He just healed the guy. So what do they do? Well, we'll just get rid of him. Now think about this. Those who were accusing Jesus of violating the law which they sanctimoniously declared they were there to uphold are now ready and willing and eager to violate their own law by taking his life. And it's easy to point a finger at them and to miss us. Because sometimes I'm eager to judge another person. Why aren't they here on Sunday? I mean, we, you know, they should, they should be back by now, you know. Or why are those people not wearing a mask? Or why are they wearing a mask? Why are they not wearing a tie? Don't they know enough to uh, wear decent clothes on Sunday to honor the Lord? I haven't seen them at midweek activities at all, even without COVID. 
Hmm. I saw those people at the restaurant. Yeah, they, they don't, they don't, they're not very respectful of those people who have to work on Sundays. I haven't seen them in church for a while. They work too much. I don't know when the last, pers- last time that person took communion. They're probably going to go to hell. I'm saying that sarcastically. Now, should we take communion? Yes. Should we be in church? Yes. Should we commune with the saints? Yes. Should we honor God in what we wear and what we do in our worship? Yes. The Sabbath controversies, Jesus condemned all hypocrisy that stems from outward external conformity that's devoid of internal reality, internal truth in our heart. See, legalism is the enemy of saving grace. What's the purpose of the law, Paul says? The purpose of the law was to show us that we can't meet up to the law, to show us that we need Jesus. That's Galatians chapter 3, verse 24. All the law could do was illumine the reality of our desperate need for God in the person of Jesus so we can experience saving grace. That's Galatians chapter 3, verse 24. Okay? The Pharisees, they represent everybody who's trusting in their deeds. Hey, they believed in their traditions they believed in obedience to the law they believed in committing doing the sacrifices and all that stuff if they did all that then they would earn a place with God in heaven and if they had this place then they would grow in it and this is not what the scripture says they followed the letter of the law but they didn't know not they knew not the Lord they kept the Sabbath but they didn't know the son of man they didn't know who he was as Jesus says later in Matthew 23, they cleaned the outside of the cup and the dish, but inside they're full of robbery and selfish indulgence. Uh, Edith Olson was my Sunday school teacher when I was a boy. One day she came in with a uh, poster, put it up on the wall in our Sunday school class. The poster was a picture of a garage. And the caption was, going into a garage doesn't make you a car any more than going into church makes you a Christian. Just showing up is not what it's about. Now, it's a big part and can be a big part of what it's about. I wonder, do we rest personally? Or are we just in Jesus or are we just living religiously. We left the Gospel of Matthew with Matthew chapter 11, verses 25 through 30. Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. And then he goes right into these controversies. People who aren't resting. If we're weary and heavy laden and in faith come to Jesus, we will find rest for our souls in relationship with God that results in worship that is not ritual and is not rule-based, but it is faith-based. And that's what he's calling us to. Those who have experienced the compassion of God are those who should be extending the compassion of God to other people every day of the week, but particularly on the Sabbath. Legalism is the enemy of grace that saves. Legalism is the enemy of grace that sustains. You see, we know that we do not enter into a relationship with God by keeping the traditions, doing the works, 
abiding by the law, strict obedience. And again, I'm not against obedience, okay? But neither do we exist in relationship with God. In Galatians chapter 3, verses 3 and 5, we, we, we see that Paul lays this out. Are you so foolish, having begun by the Spirit? See, if we put, turn from our sin and trust in Christ, His Spirit comes to live within us, and we're, he says, you've begun by the Spirit. Are you now being perfected by the flesh? Oh, I'm getting better in my walk with Jesus just because I'm doing these things? No, but I hope that in doing those things, I do get closer in my walk with Jesus. But just doing them doesn't make it so. So then, does he who provides you with the Spirit and works miracles among you do it by works of the law or by the hearing of faith? We're saved by faith. We're sustained by faith. We're brought into the kingdom by faith. We continue in the kingdom by faith, walking by faith, and living our lives for the glory of God. If works didn't provide us salvation, they certainly don't perfect us in salvation. The true child of God lives not to please men, but before the Lord and to live for Him. I wonder, maybe there's a little bit of legalism in your life that you need to repent of. Maybe you don't know the Lord. Maybe you're just doing the religious thing. I used to tell people, you know, I, I want to, you mind if I share with you about a religion? No, I don't want to talk about religion. I want to talk about a relationship. A relationship with God through faith in Jesus Christ. It's faith. It's not works. It's not what I do. It's what's in my heart. And now, as a believer, I don't want to live in legalism. I don't want to live like, oh, it doesn't matter. I can do whatever I want. That's not it either. It's not just license, but it's not like I have to abide by certain rules and regulations that you put on me or that somebody else puts on me in order to be pleasing to God. No. And neither do you. You know, several years ago, I, uh, I used to journal every day. You know, I would uh, spend time with the Lord and then I'd write in my journal and write journal things. And I, again, I'm not against that. Okay, that's good. This would be a very beneficial thing. And I've gone back and forth with doing it, but I realized at the time I was more concerned about uh, doing some spiritual work when I was doing my journal. Like, does this sound good? Is this eloquent enough? Uh, you know, is this, this prayer that I'm writing down, you know, what if, really? What's the point if all I'm trying to do is please people instead of just commune with my God? So whatever I do, whether it's journaling, whether it's uh, singing praise songs, whether it's just meditating, whether it's taking a walk in the woods, it is for Him. It's for His glory. It's not for me. And so whatever it is that I do that's for me needs to be checked, okay, and held in check. Religious activity is not a ticket to heaven. Religious activity is not a trophy for me. We need to trust Christ. And what's really Interesting is as, as we at Creekside conclude each service by taking the symbols of Christ's sacrifice for us, these symbols and doing this can become an empty ritual. There's a danger in it. Anything we do on a repetitive basis can be a, a ritual observance that we erroneously believe makes us right with God. Or measures our favor with God because I've done it. Now, I'm completely on board with having communion every, every Sunday. But I want to caution you. I want to caution myself. Let's don't make it a ritual. 
Let's not look down our nose at somebody who decides that they're not going to take communion because maybe they have their own right. And if you take communion, if you're here and you know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, this is the Lord's table. And we invite you to take it. You don't have to. It's fine. But you're welcome to take it because the Lord gave it to, 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 to believers. And you're here in our church and this local expression of God's assembly. So you're free to take it. But I would ask you to spend some time searching your heart. And if there's any sin, to confess it and get it right so that you take it with a clean heart and a good conscience. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. I thank you for the freedom that we have in Jesus. I thank you for Jesus' commitment to uh, love and to the Sabbath and that we're not bound by the Sabbath now that the Lord of the Sabbath has come. We're no longer restricted. We're no longer required to keep the Sabbath as the, they did in the, in the Old Testament, as they did in the New Testament, because the Lord of the Sabbath is here. We can worship you in spirit and in truth. And I, I pray that you'd help us to see the importance of spending time with you and communing with you and resting our bodies physically because you made the Sabbath for us. And I ask now, Father, that as we take this communion, as we meditate, you'd search our hearts and, and help us to confess our sin and that with great joy, we would rejoice. We would do it reflectively and with, with sorrow that our sin brought you to this point of sacrifice. But we do it with rejoicing that we are brought into the kingdom of God. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amazing grace,